All right. Happy Easter to all of you. Blessings. He is risen. Indeed, he is alive. Yeah. Come on. Ah, so it's good to be here. I'm so glad that you made it through. Not our uh, weather plan, but we, we realize that it is a great privilege to be able to come and just to be able to enjoy the Lord's presence. And I, I want to be able to just express an initial, you know, initial expression of gratitude because you know, we, we've had a long uh, weekend where we, at the Mission Campus, we're running the presentation. I don't know how many of you had a chance to see the Higher Love, but it was really good. I was so proud of all the people that, um, and it just as a reminder to me, because a couple of years ago, before we had the Lake Merced Campus here, and we had no ability to do what we just did um, earlier. We had a, a service here at 10 o'clock, and now we're having the 12 o'clock service. Before, we just had the presentation and mission. Everybody just, that was what we did. And to be able to have the opportunity to have something like that, such an artistic, kind of more urban, raw expression of the good news of Jesus. And then now we have a, an opportunity here at the Lake Merced campus to be able to just reflect on his words, the scriptures, and all the meaning and implica implications that are connected to the resurrection is a huge blessing. And I don't want to run past that. And also just amazed, I'm continually amazed at uh, the people that God's brought together, those who volunteer, some of you who volunteers in such amazing ways. Uh, to see it happening in two places at the level that it, it happens is not just a testimony to you know the what the Lord can do, which is it's the starting point, but it's also a testimony to the to the commitment of people and the and the willingness to use their their gifts and, and just serve, and to do so so that others may get a chance to hear the good news of Jesus and that we who who are at a point in our lives where you know we're following Him, we can be encouraged and strengthened to do that. Uh, I did want to remind everybody that there are a couple of things that are going on. If you're newer to the community, if you're just beginning to come to Cornerstone, or if you are just starting maybe your, your walk with God, or you're starting to think about exploring what that would look like, um, we have what we call a, a kind of beginning step. You can see there, there's put a little slide up there for you. But this idea of our eat and greet, this takes place at 1030 next week. It's, it's a small exposure point. You get a big picture of what is going on at Cornerstone. It's at the it's sort of a block away from the Mission Campus. That's the Dorland Building. And it's a, it's a place where we will have some of our pastors there. And, and there's some coffee and tartines. Bakery is really good stuff. So you, if, you, if you show up over there, you get a chance to get a, a better sense of how you can get more connected in the church community. So just be aware of that. That's happening next week. It's about an hour, hour introduction, time together, just to be able to inter, mix, mix it up and, and get that blessing we want to make it available to everyone because we realize that for some, you know, Easter is kind of a marking point of, of re-entry. And perhaps some of us, we haven't, been, we haven't been in church for a little while. This is like a big deal for us, first time in a while. Um, also, uh, you'll notice that inside your handout, there's a card. And this is a little bit of where we're going. It's our peace series. We're going to be starting this next week. On the other, on the other side of it, you can see that um, a kind of indication of where we're actually going in the, in the coming weeks. Next week, I'm going to specifically share again on peace in, a place, in the places of where, we're, of where we're afraid. So peace in a fearful place. The following week after that, we'll be hearing from a friend of our church and a part of our church, David Brickner, who's the executive director of Jews for Jesus. And I asked him, I said, hey, Dave, you know, I'm talking about how to have peace in, in the places that we're afraid of in life, the fearful places. Would you be interested in possibly following that up with how to 
how to maybe have peace in this kind of, what we, we called it a restless world where things are turning at an at a international level. And he's kind of an expert on the, on the Middle East and, and the idea of how to represent Jesus in a very unique and challenging place all over the world. And so getting his perspective on just how the scriptures talk about how to understand current events and even different types of things that are happening and how that relates and how we can have peace even when things are happening in the world that maybe are unset, unsettling. Following that, I'm going to try to follow that back up with something around peace of mind. You can see there, talk about how to overcome anxiety, especially when we're struggling to incorporate the peace of Jesus into our lives. Alex Costanzo will follow it up on Mother's Day weekend, peace and relationships. And then we've got a good friend of our church, Francis Shan, who will be sharing on peace in the storm. So here's where we're going. Think about it. It's a way of following up on some of the themes that we're going to explore in the time that we have left here. I want to pray, though. I want to ask God to bless our time. I, I fully believe that not only is this important for us to mark as a time where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, but I'm hoping and believing, no matter where we are in this journey of faith or why we got here, that the Lord would speak to our hearts and um, would remind us of who he is and what he can do. And so I'm going to just pray over this time, and I, I thank you already, Lord, for the opportunity to be able to share this word together. Um, again, joining with people all over the world who are marking the moment of your resurrection, and even now, we get to do that. I pray that wherever we are in our walk with you, some of us just starting, again, it's a fresh thing in our lives, and I ask that you would help us to understand even better what you have done for us. Others of us have been following you for a long time. We may even know some of these, these accounts, you know, just they're such a part of our life. And, and I ask that you would make them fresh to us in this time that we're sharing. And perhaps there's a few of us out here who we've never actually even opened up our heart. Well, we've, we're, we're seeking, we're open, at least we've come maybe because a friend invited us or someone we love invited us. And we're here because it's Easter maybe. But I ask that wherever we are, you would speak to us. We would drop our guards, open up our hearts, come with humility, and just be able to focus our mind for a little bit. Because there's always stuff going on in our world. But this opportunity to really think about who you are and what it means when we say that you're alive and what that can do in our lives, that's what we want to look at. We ask for your blessing. We ask for your grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen, Lord. All right. So, you know, when we talk about you know, this idea of higher love, and we talk about how we see in the cross um, love's declaration, you know. I've always kind of liked to see it as, well, the cross speaks of love's declaration. That is, God so loved us, right? Greater love is no one than, no man that he gives his life for a friend. So the cross loves declaration, but really, the resurrection is love's vindication. That is, that says that, that love has a victory moment attached to it. Love wins in this regard. And from these things flow love's benediction. That is a promise that bleeds into both this life and the life to come. The cross, you know, that's it. What's what we declare. The, the resurrection is the victory in it. And the benediction, the promise that's given to us that flows out of it is that life is available to us. When we keep that in mind, now a lot of us were here in the last few weeks. We, we've been talking about things like the triumphal entry of Jesus. We spent a lot of time talking about this Palm Sunday and the week before. And what I wanted to do is just sort of retrace some things 
again, because I don't want to assume that everybody knows this, and I think it's also helpful for us to do it in fresh ways. And so I want to do is, is trace what happened in the final week of Jesus' life, everything that kind of gets us to the resurrection point, the resurrection moment. I want to mark it. I want to ponder it. I want to then, with humility and care, draw some wisdom from it, again, that I'm hoping will propel some of us into a life-giving season. You know, I had, more, I had more than a few conversations after the early service where people came up to me afterwards and they said, you know, uh, I've been drifting or it's been a long time since I've been in, in church and this really marks a homecoming for me, a return. And, and it, almost like a new beginning. And perhaps some of us will find that to be the case. Well, we know from the historical account of the Gospels that immediately after Jesus' entry where he was celebrated by this massive multitude of people, and we talked about this, especially by his followers, he was celebrated as Messiah, that after that moment, the previous Sunday, that things quickly degraded. A mere four days later, Jesus was secretly, furtively, you know, stealthily arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Garden of Gethsemane was on the Mount of Olives in an olive grove. And kind of the cool thing about the places the Bible talks about is that you can still see them in, in many ways like they were almost 2,000 years ago. For example, the Garden of Gethsemane, you see these massive olive trees. If you've ever been there, it's an amazing thing. The, the, this is the, the Mount of Olives. And when you see it, you're immediately kind of connected back to where Jesus was. Of course, below the Mount of Olives is the Valley of the Kidron. You can see that as well. It faces the, the ancient city of Jerusalem. And you get an impression that the things that Jesus was talking about, they were real places, places that we can even see now. We, of course, know that some of the remnants of the, of the wall of the temple are still there on the western wall, and it's a, it's a center of worship still today. Um, but the city itself is an extraordinary place that testifies to the reality of the things that we read. Now, we know that what happened after Jesus was arrested in the garden, uh, that he was taken in, that early, in the early hours back and forth. First he went to the Sanhedrin, then he went to Pilate. Then from Pilate he was sent over to King Herod. After King Herod sent him back to Pilate, Pilate was doing everything he could uh, to get out of it. He didn't want to pass judgment on Jesus. He feared him, but uh, he, he, he tried to have him beaten and, and, and humiliated, hoping that that would appease the people, but it didn't. Finally, after doing everything he could to try to get out of it, um, Pilate callously, and we might say reluctantly, but he did it. He passed a death sentence over Jesus. And when he did, it was like a once and for all kind of thing. Hoping, he hoped that um, he would be done with this Jesus of Nazareth once and for all. I wanted to read, though, the account itself. And I think it would be helpful. You can either follow with me in your Bibles. I think it's important to sort of place this in Scripture. You can follow along, too. We're going to scroll it on the, on the screen. I want to read through the account of what happens to Jesus. It says, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium, and they gathered the whole garrison around him. And let's just for a moment see in our mind's eye what happens to him. They stripped him. They put a scarlet robe on him, these soldiers. Uh, when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head. They stuck a reed in his right hand. They bowed the knee before him, and they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. You know, then they spat on him, and they took the reed, and they struck him on the head. 
and say, who's hitting? You know, it's just a, and when they had mocked him, they took the robe off of him again after they were finished with him and his, put his own clothes back on him and led him away to be crucified. Whenever I read this, I always think about the, the, for whatever the reason, the film Jesus of Nazareth comes to my mind. And I always see the picture of him sort of being tossed around. And there's something about it, where he, the way it was captured in that film, where Jesus is just like, he's, 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 so, he's so humiliated. Uh, it's just being tossed around like a rag, being pushed around. And then they're laughing and jeering and drinking. And next thing you know, some, they've stripped him down. They put a robe. Yeah, king of the Jews are hitting him on the head. And the next thing you know, someone's running over. Ah, yeah, I gotta. They pull off a little thorn, roll it around until he can play. Then they stick it on his head. Ah, you're the king. You know, it's just it's this moment of, I, I, I can't understand why God will allow. He allows himself to be so um, humiliated. And anyway. It says, now as they came out, they found a man of, Cy of Cyrene, a man from Africa, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross because Jesus couldn't do it all by himself. And when they had come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say the place of the skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. It was kind of like a painkiller, but he, when he tasted it, he, he wouldn't drink it. And then they crucified him. See the picture as Jesus is hanging. They divided his garments, casting lots. They gambled at his feet for the one thing that he had of any value, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. And then sitting down the soldiers, they just kept watch over him there. And they, they put up over his head the accusation written against him, this is, his, this is the Jesus, the king of the Jews, it was meant to shame him, mock him, mock those who had wanted him dead. Then the two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right, the other on the left. Those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads, shaking their heads, saying, You who destroy the temple, build it in three days, save yourself. You're the Son of God, if you are. Come down from that cross. That's what you said you were. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking with the scribes and elders, they said, He saved himself. <laughs> he cannot save he saved others. He cannot save himself. Now, if he is king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. And then notice, this, even the robbers, the two thieves who are being crucified next to him, they're dying. Even the robbers with him reviled him. The same thing. I mean, the picture is Jesus taking it from all sides. I mean, the, he is hanging there helplessly, utterly shamed, naked, and then he's getting it from every direction. I mean, that's the picture we're given, right? You said you could do this. You're nothing. Spitting on him, blaspheming him. He's getting it from all sides. And the next thing you know, even the, the criminals on the side of him, they're pestering him too. You're nothing. I mean, it was just all coming at him. You can just feel it in the passage. It's an intense moment. I see this happening. He's getting from all sides, yet his majesty holds. Now, if we had been an onlooker on that day, even with passive familiarity, honestly, with the Nazarene who now hung so helplessly on the cross, we would have wanted to look away. That's the truth. With the exception of a few of, maybe, his deepest critics, no one would have wished what was happening to Jesus to anyone especially this good man. He had been, and there's really 
no other way to say it, right? He had been tortured to a point of uh, disfigurement. His face was swollen, almost beyond recognition. His body was twisted. His flesh was shredded. There was a crown of thorns that had been placed on him like we talked about. The blood was still trickling, still down his swollen and beaten face. Some dried, some not. Uh, His hands and feet, they had been hammered into the wood uh, that now held him. Every breath cost him something. Blood was everywhere. I know we sanitize it. Blood was everywhere. It was, honestly, it was difficult to look at so that even the most ardent followers of Jesus must have turned away, walked away with tears in their eyes, honestly, in stunned disbelief. How could this be happening? I mean, that's the picture we're given. Now, Rome had set it up that way. They had did it for a reason. They had set it up to terrify. They had set it up to mollify and pacify anyone who even thought of crossing her. Rome knew how to conquer. Rome knew how to rule, and she knew how to send a message. But listen, so did God. Jesus was God's message. He was his message of love and redemption for a broken, cruel, sin-impacted world, violent world. And I want to have us look at the passages in the handout there. And John, I think it says it beautifully. It says, in the beginning was the Word. Now watch this. This is God's message. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, Right? He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And light shines in the darkness, and the darkness comprehends it not, does not comprehend it. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, his own did not receive him. But as many as, key phrase for all of us, but as many as received him, To them gave he the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who are born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, not in a human way, nor the will of man, but of God at a spiritual level. And the word became flesh, and it dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Keith Green, the poet, singer, wrote one time, he said, someone had to pay a price, but who would be that nice to pay a debt that wasn't his? I know someone like that. He's your best friend. He really is. He really loves you. And indeed, two chapters later in John 3, he would say that God so loved this world and that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish. Death would not be the final word. Would not perish, but have everlasting life, the life of God overflowing, the undying life of God now and yet to be can live in us. For God did not send Jesus, said his son, into this world to condemn. It already has death on it. It's got pain and violence and brokenness. That's the truth. It's got a lot of beauty, but it's got a lot of stuff that's not fair, too. And I think Jesus, what happens to Jesus, what he allows himself to experience, is the worst of humanity. But God did not send his son into the world to condemn, but the world through him might be saved. I'll just suggest this, that the cross is designed to remind us of both how lost we are and how loved we are. Not either or, but both. The cross reminds, and I know, I know some of us are, are taking some, some notes and jotting things down, and some of us are journaling, and I'm a big believer in that because I think that in the same way that we enhance what we believe by what we speak out, 
That's the power of words. That's why what we say and how we say it has such power. That's why when we sing out songs in worship, it, it enhances what we say. How we refer to something and increases what it is to us. So that's why, and this is a total detour, but that's why when we, when we have, speak to people we love, we need to watch our words. Don't allow our familiarity to be an excuse for speaking things that we would never say to someone we didn't even know. What we speak has power. In the same way, what we write has power. It has power to, that's why when you teach something, it increases the likelihood of it happening. What I want to say is that when we, when we see the cross, it reminds us of both how lost we are and how loved we are. And, and here's the thing, as meaningful as the cross is as a way of addressing, right, of addressing our lostness and reminding us of how much we are loved, without the resurrection, the cross would have been nothing but a sad and tragic ending. With, that's what I'm trying to say. Without, why is Easter important? Because without the empty tomb, the, the cross has no lasting meaning. It's just, it's just a bad thing that happened to someone who was very, very good. But the, what makes it different, right, is, is the resurrection. Because resurrection is love's vindication. Without the resurrection, this is way, another way of saying it, without the resurrection, the way of Jesus would have only been a monument to love, not a movement of love. It just would have been a nice thing to look at as a reminder to be admired perhaps, but never a movement that has life transforming capacity and world changing impact, which is what it has. Without the resurrection, and if it was only the cross, it would simply be a monument of love, but not a movement of love. That's why when the angel declared to Mary Magdalene on that first early morning in Mark, he said this, but he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified, but he is risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. It's gone. It's, um, it's empty. That's the, that is the core foundation point. The cross is not the end. Evil is not the end. And so I want to, I want to suggest, now I would like to take this and shift it to our lives. And I, I pray that we will just focus for, the, for a few minutes here and take the principle that we're honoring here at Easter and then let the Lord speak to our hearts about it. Because what we're doing right now is we're digging into our life and we're welcoming God into our hearts and into our minds for a moment to speak to us. And I, I suspect that if we do this with sincerity, that we will, we will leave we believe, and, and, and remember, life is not defined by entertainment or work. In the end, it's, divine, it's, it's defined by our relationship with God and others. Let me put this up. The same power, listen, this is an important truth. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead will work in us today, loved ones. Key, key, if we let him. If we let him. Those who've welcomed Jesus in a personal way, or as John put it, as many as received him, and confessed him as our Savior and Lord. It's always good for us to remember the, the life-impacting power we have access to, because a lot of times we, we can say, oh, I believe in Jesus, and forget what is actually available there. And again, when I say that statement, as many as received him, I'm not talking down to anyone. I will, well, everyone can receive Jesus, all of us. And we need not only to do it, uh, we need to stay refreshed in it. My, my point is this, though, that he is a life bringer, and his love is stronger than death. He can bring life into dead and dying places anywhere at any time. 
He is the resurrection and the life. The key, the art is, if we let, if we let it. This is where the promise hinges on our willingness to let God help us, to work with Him. This is where a lot of us struggle. If I can be honest, there are certain times where I go, Lord, I, this, is, I, this is where I'm actually struggling because I believe you can do certain things in this area of my life. But really, I think what it's coming down to for me is am I really willing? You know, there were times where I would read in the Bible and I, was, I remember reading these moments where Jesus would have these interactions with people and they were sick sometimes or hurting or damaged physically. And Jesus would say to them, and it always caught me off guard, like, why would you, the Lord say this? Because they're coming to him, and he's, he's, he's right there. And he would say something like, do you want to be healed? And, and in a way, I was thinking, well, why would, why would you ask that question? I mean, who would not want to be healed? But it dawned on me that, that, that the Lord was getting into something. There's a lot of times the Lord wants to heal us, but, but sometimes we're fighting him. Maybe there's a part of us that isn't sure. Maybe there's a part of us not sure what that would look like. What does that mean? Like if I, even though I don't like where this is, letting this go is kind of scary to me. I think it's very interesting. He would probe in that way. Do you, do you want to be healed? It goes back to the idea of, of our willingness to cooperate. If we let him, right? If we let him, it's true for the beginning of our life and faith journey in the living Jesus, and it's true of our, for sustaining and thriving in it. But listen, this is our great advantage. This is our promise. Just as God was able to take good from humanity's worst, he can bring good from our worst and greatest disappointments. He can bring good into our worst and into our deepest struggles. I don't want to just say that just to say it. He can bring good into the worst places, into our deepest struggles. Watch what I mean. Look how these words echo. We'll, we'll put this up from 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9. Look at these words from Paul. Paul gets behind this. He says, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. Remember, he says, we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. There were certain things that were happening in our life. Do we have things that are happening in our life that are crushing us? Or we're having a hard time knowing, can I endure this? He says, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, this is a, we stopped relying on ourselves. And we learned what? To rely only on God. And then he makes this statement, who raises the dead. Whew. Where are we defeated? Welcome the life giver. Where are we discouraged? Is there an area where we're discouraged? Welcome the life giver. Where are we feeling death trying to work its way into to part of our life? Where is it? Where do we sense it coming? It's trying to kill that thing in me. It's like, it's like it's, I can feel it. And that's the kind of pain that gets, gets us reckless. Where is that place? Welcome the life giver. Where are we hurting? And I mean really hurting, when we're honest. Where are we hurting? Welcome the, I say, Lord, I say, Lord, help me to welcome you into this place. Welcome the life. Do you want to be healed? Wow. Where are we afraid? Because we have fear. Real fears of things. Because we're not all strong all the time. 
And some of us really, look, welcome the life giver. You know, there's a, I'm going to show up a phrase that it, it, it's so, so simple. It says this, E. Stanley Jones wrote this, and it hit me. I don't know, I was at the right time. It hit me in a certain way. I kind of got what it was saying. Initially, you look at the saying that I'm about, we're about to put up, and it's almost like, oh, that's so simple. It means nothing. But look at what he says. Outside of God, there is nothing but death. Inside of God, there is nothing but life. Outside of God, nothing but death. Inside of God, nothing but life. Now ponder for a moment what this means. Because again, like I said, the key to life is placing ourselves inside of God. That's the key. And when we sense death gripping itself on us, seeking to define us and confine us in any area of our life, sensing its cloud hovering over us, that's when we want to run to Jesus, hide in him. For wherever he is, life is. And nothing can defeat us. Nothing can separate us from his love. It's almost like this is a great principle for all of us. Look what it, oh, look what it says here uh, in, this in your handout. In Romans 8, look what it says. It says, what, and we know, some of us know this passage, but it's awesome. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, look at this. And I'm going to say it, loved ones, because we're loved by God. If God is for us, he sent Jesus as a living proof. Who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us. He was raised. There it is. There's Easter. Raised to life for us. And he's still sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand. He's pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? I'm, does it mean, look, does it mean we won't have any problems anymore? That we'll no longer, that it, it, does it mean that if he no longer loves us, if we have trouble or calamity or we're persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Does it, he, does, he says, no, despite all these things, look at that, verse 37. Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus who, who loved us. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor fears for today, worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will be ever be able, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know what stood out to me when I first put, asked him to put that in there? Was neither our fears for today nor our worries for, about tomorrow. I have them both. But if we plant ourselves, if I, okay, what is it? If I plant myself inside of God and cultivate his love as the dominant theme of my life, then I will find nothing but life. So we experience death intrusion. When we start to feel that coming in, then we can deduce that a part of us is not hiding inside of God. Now, I just said something there. Inside of God, there is only life. Outside of God, there's death. Flip this around. What does this tell us? When we are being sort of immersed in anxiety or anger or just depressed or just frustrated or filled with negativity, one of the things, or we feel like things are starting to just like encroach themselves and define us, one of the things we can know in that moment is that we're moving outside of God. Because wherever God is, there is life. And wherever 
whatever is outside of God is death. In other words, it's a clue. I, I, started, I started getting it in my mind. I, started saying, I think I understand what's, what you're saying. But what you're saying is that when, when we start to let these things dominate us, what is that telling us? It's telling me that I'm moving outside of God. I'm moving away from him. That is revealing, these things are revealing the fact that I'm not staying with it. Because wherever he is, there is life. And wherever he isn't, there is death. And when we start seeing death starting to work its way in, it's telling us, hope, pull back into life. Pull back into life. This is where you need to be. This is where we need to be. And here's the thing I'll, I'll throw behind it. And, and second, we'll just call this the second piece here. His love at work in us is meant for both this life and the one yet to come. So one of the things we're reminded of is that we're to enjoy this life but never confuse it for home. As the old hymns used to remind us, this is not our home. We have inside of us a longing for home, life without end, true home. We want our life to be filled with love and meaning. And we want to live, I don't think there's any of us that doesn't want to live a long life and not die. In fact, Ecclesiastes 3.1, check this verse out, says that he has made everything beautiful in its time. He also said eternity in the human heart. No one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Their, things are beautiful in their time. And that key here is time and transiency. We live in a world with no lasting beauty. Everything is in decay, at, including us. It doesn't mean that it's not without beauty, but it's a world of temporary. It's a world of limits. Nothing stays the same. We long for more. There's a part of us that longs for more. We were made for more. We yearn for more. It's like what that Augustine said, you, made, you have made us for yourself. Oh, Lord, and our heart is restless till it finds rest in you. It's a part of the human. We, we, we yearn for that life. Look, our contention is that the secret to living is living into the promise of Christ by letting the, the living Christ live in us. That is, we want that to be our dominant theme so that we fully enjoy this life without being defined by its ups and downs. We know how to be a resilient people who weather through things because we understand that this life is part of a larger story. Look what C.S. Lewis said in his great book, The Problem of Pain. He said, our father refreshes us on the journey, the journey of life, with some pleasant ends, but will not encourage us to mistake them for home. And we must never forget that according to Jesus, this world, no matter how you know, we love his fragile beauty is not our true home. There are some pleasant ends, and I've known, I hoped, I've known a few, and I hope to have a few more before my journey is done. But remember, this life, even a long life, whatever we would call that, comparatively speaking, right, is short. But eternity is long. And in light of that, here we go. Let the promise, stay with me, let the promise of tomorrow anchored in the resurrection of Jesus, inform and settle our hearts for today. This is what I want us to walk out with. Jesus said in John 14, he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, look, if there was nothing beyond this life, I would tell you right now. That's what Jesus is saying. If this is all there is, then I, will, I will tell you. I'm not going to lie to you. That's what he's saying. Because in my father's head, look, there's more than this. It's what Jesus is saying. Do not let your heart be gripped in trouble and anxiety. Believe in God. Believe in me. Right? I go to prepare a place. There's more than this. Now, what makes that so unique is that those words were uttered on the, uh, let not your heart be troubled. 
don't let yourself be filled with anxiety. That, you think, I was looking, I was going, hmm. That was uttered on the night of his betrayal. He had just got through saying, you know, my heart is troubled, essentially, because not all of you are being honest with me. He knew he had a betrayer sitting at his stake. It's like one of his own. You know how hard, you know how, some of us know what it's like to be betrayed. It hurts. And to be, to have someone break promise. Now he, Jesus, he invested into this man. He, he understood that wound deeply. He understood it. And in, in that moment, he was troubled by it. Later on, a few hours later, he'll be in the garden. And don't, listen, he, didn't he just say, let not your heart be troubled? He's in the garden and he's saying, Father, he, he can't, no one, he says, if you guys can pray with me, pray with me. They fall asleep. That's just like us. All right. He says, he says if, if he gets alone with the Father, he knows where it's all going. He understands his, he's already being betrayed. He says, Lord, is it possible, Father, take this cup from me? He can see where it's taking him. If it's possible, take the cup from me. Right, that's troubling. Nevertheless, not my will, yours be done. But the point being is, and then he gets abandoned by everybody. Right, just they all leave him. He's by himself. And then on the cross, he, even the Father, as he bears the sin of the world, everybody. Have we ever been hurt? He knows that hurt. Not just as creator, but as our hurt. And what does he say? Let not your heart be troubled, right? What are, can I ask, what are the things that trouble our hearts? And is there anything that's troubling yours right now? Because right? let me tell you this. Life is too short to get stuck. Help me, Jesus. Too short to be poorly aligned or angry or fearful or anxious or conflicted or agitated or disturbed. Remember, what did we say? In God is what? Life. Outside of God, non-life. Inside of God, life. Outside of God, non-life. When death is trying to work its way into our life, we need to move into God. What, is he, what was Jesus teaching us? That Not that we won't have troubles, but that those troubles do not have to be the defining point of our life. His faithfulness is the defining point of our lives. Remember, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead will live in us today if we let it. So may the Lord roll away. You know, I, was, I was thinking about this. I was saying, Lord, remind me, because this morning I, was, I, was, I, was, I had some things I was trying to work through in my mind and my heart, and I could feel... Like I could feel certain things trying to creep in. And here's the thing. I was getting ready to share this with you. And I'm sitting here. I could feel like a... It's like if you could see the, the fog rolling in on a sunny day in the sunset, right? Kind of see it coming. And then, no, it's, you know, and I'm not saying fog is bad, but I'm going to say this, that, that, that there are times where you can sense something coming at you. It's rolling your way. And it's about to get real gray. And here's the problem. When we get gray, we do things to address that pain. And a lot of times the things we do end up making things worse. And sometimes the way we address the pain is through things that, that, aren't even, that are addictive and they make it even, again, they, they, they actually just delay the pain. They don't help us. They make us more bound. The pain's real. We're trying to get rid of it. Clouds coming in. 
Sometimes we find a way to use other things to sort of distract us. But here's the, what the Lord's trying to teach us. In me is life. Outside of me is non-life. In me is life. Outside of me is death. So when I start to see that coming, where do I need to go? I need to go where the sun is. I need to sit there. I need to be there. I need to remind myself of his faithfulness. He was troubled, but his trouble did not define him. He invites us to do the same. May his higher love prevail. May the shackles of death be released in the name of the risen Savior over our lives. Are there areas that are trying to get me, hold me, tighten me, define me? Let not your heart be troubled. Hold on. Remember who he is. Lord, like, like uh, if there's, again, another image I have is like of a stone. The stone. What are the things that try to entomb us? What are the ways of thinking or past experiences or stuff we're dealing with? It's trying to like seal us up in death. And the Lord is saying, no, the power of life is in me and it's in you. Roll that thing away. Let me, it's going to wrestle with it sometimes, but life will win if we keep Jesus in that place. Okay? Let's pray together. We'll close out. We're going to celebrate Easter, but I want to be able to pray into this moment. And even now, Lord, as we're getting ready to, to bring our service to a time of close and and, you know, we're going to have our time of giving. We honor you together in it. But really, the song that we close with just is a reminder of your resurrection power. And even towards the end of it, I ask that towards the end of the song that there might be things that you're reminding us to trust you with. Okay? There might be things that we're struggling with. Or, again, we're even afraid of being healed. <laughs> it's like we know we want to be, but there's another part of us that's afraid. It's like we're fighting our own selves. And that's okay. You love us still. You love us still. And there are others of us, we can feel that crowd just trying to, that cloud trying to just hover over our life and define us in non-life. We want to live in your life. Wherever you are, there is life. And whenever we feel that death coming, that, that, that grip of depression and anger or whatever it is, or feeling of just shame or frustration, of woundedness that would take away all of our joy, God, May the, may the power of the living Jesus confront that. And may your light shine through. Don't let that thing seal us up, Lord. Let us find the life that is in you, just like you rolled away that stone. Roll away things in our lives, too. In you is life. Outside of you, there is no life. So I pray for your blessing. And as we get to the end of this service, as we get to the end of that song, let us just like lay those things and just remember, when we sing hallelujah, when we sing praise to you for your, what you've done, in a way we're praising your ability to work in our lives at all dimensions. You never give up on us. As long as we're willing, you never give up on us. I pray for your blessing, your grace, this Easter season and in the weeks ahead. Teach us how to live in your life, in your peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, God.